Welcome to Weird Sounds, an audio companion to the Boston Art Book Fair and Boston Center for the Arts. I'm your host, Oliver Mack. And I'm also your host, Randy Hopkins. Oliver and I are the co-founders of the Boston Art Book Fair, which has brought us into contact with an incredible array of artists and creative thinkers. We want to share some of these conversations with you. And that's exactly why we started Weird Sounds, as a podcast to document the ways that people are making art all around us these days. We have so many questions for artists because we love hearing about the ideas and images, inspirations and aspirations behind their practices. And we know you will too. Street Theory is an award-winning creative agency that activates communities, spaces, and global brands through street art, cultural placemaking, and design. They're an artist-owned husband and wife team founded by Liza Quinones and prolific street artist Marka27. Oliver and I talked with Liza and Marka27 just after they'd completed the Murals for the Movement project in Dumbo, Brooklyn. Hey, thanks for joining us, Victor and Liza. Um, it's been a really long time since uh, I've seen you all, and there's been incredible amount of work you guys have been doing. I can't, I can't barely keep up with what you guys have output in the past. I don't know, eighteen months, well, lifetime of uh, work. But uh, yeah, what's the the most recent project you guys have up is uh, murals for the movement, right? Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. We're having a hard time keeping up ourselves. <laughs> I need to, I need to clone myself, Oliver. I'm waiting for that technology. That's that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be probably like 10, 15 years from now until you can clone yourself. But uh, the the most recent uh, mural project is in Dumbo in Brooklyn. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's we just did a collection of three murals. Two of them are still in progress right now. One was done by Vic Marker Twenty Seven. Um, another one is being done currently by Say Adams. And that's located on Prospect and Adams, right under the BQE. And the third mural is going to be an installation being done by Sophia Dawson. Amazing. And this, this is a project that you guys run as Street Theory, right? So this is like something that you, you put together from the ground up? Yeah, it was really a campaign that got started last year in sort of the height of all the uprisings um, after the death of George Floyd. And you know, coming out or not even coming out, but being in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of these social justice movements, it really spawned out of this need for us to have big spaces to share our message and to create more opportunities for artists of color. Yeah, I think the major shift was that we've we've been doing this kind of work for decades. We've been doing social work, activist work with artwork that speaks to those type of issues. But this is the first time that we've seen um, a lot of public support for it and people that are actually looking for that. I think that's the biggest struggle that I've seen the whole movement go through of just, you know, going from totally illegal to some some love in the public space. And now it's fully embraced through through all uh, levels of power. And, and and levels of uh, consciousness. Yeah, it's like how you you've been a muralist for how how many decades, Victor? Well, it's it's hard to say, right? Because I started with graffiti, and um, that's been since '93. But I've always painted on walls. If you're just counting painting on walls and you know doing that, and I always say that what people call street artists are 
half the time graffiti artists are just focused more on artwork. It's it's like uh, street artists have a cheat code, and if they came from graffiti, then they're usually in the top ten. You know, I'm not even saying that as 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 an opinion. It's it just it's a fact. A lot of these really amazing artists out there um, that are doing these, you know, large scale murals, they they've already had you know decades of experience spray painting before you know it even became accepted. When did you start noticing? I mean, what's the history? How did that feel to you now to start having a different kind of support? Or how recent is that? Just kind of curious what some of how that what that feels like, and uh, that's maybe surprising. I think for us, having support with somebody like the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston was was you know extremely. It, it came as a surprise, but at the same time, it was sort of a like a mutual cosign a mutual validation. You know, I'm, I'm alumni from museum school and they've never like reached out to do anything with me in the MFA, uh, up until recently when we started doing more political work that was engaging towards a community that they're trying to win back because the MFA doesn't have the best history when dealing with, you know, different diverse groups. Um, Makiva McCreary, who was a director there, uh, dealing with community and, you know, dealing with uh, artists and and residencies, um, she was a major advocate for street theory and opened up that opportunity for us to do a large scale installation with the MFA. So those kind of things were extremely positive and also you know uplifting for a lot of people to see that just going up and down Huntington Ave. Yeah, it's incredible to see you know the people who you know I grew up seeing as the heroes of the street of the of the people. Uh, finally being embraced by the institutions that Makiba brought in um, the two Robs, Rob, Pro Black, Rob Gibbs and Rob Stuhl, right? Uh, the comic artist for that as artist in residencies last year. And yeah, she made a great impact on that on that space. And I think uh, I was in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum like a year before that. And you were you were featured there as an artist as well, right? You know, commu- something I forgot the the title that they, they bestowed upon. Don't you. be modest about that. You were you were entertaining everybody as as we you know got on stage and we did our artist talk and you know did some uh some workshops with people and had a lot of questions and answers and you know liza was at the forefront organizing things for underground ink block and that was just a launch for you know the 2019 uh roundup of artists that's um that the underground mural project uh you'd worked with the the real estate developers uh, ink block in in the south South End, and you, you took over, you know, this gigantic space uh, that was under the freeways, and brought in artists that had had never painted in Bo- in Boston before, and that was a uh, that was an insane undertaking and an insane impact on just street street culture, street art, graffiti in the scene. I, how how much work goes into something like that, Liza? A ton of work. (laughs) Yeah, just like a few months of coordinating with artists, getting supplies, putting assets together. You know, it's really a team effort between Vic and myself and a couple of really, not even a couple, but a, a great amount of young emerging artists who jump in and say, hey, how can I help? And it's really through their help that, you know, we're able to execute a lot of this work, you know, really just the willingness to come in and say, you know, I want to work with you guys. I want to learn. I want to be around the culture and the movement. And so definitely a lot of work, but a lot of fun at the same time. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's mind-boggling to me because of just the scope of the the work that you pull off in terms of community organizing, and then on top of logistics, it's just it's how how many like miles of wall did you guys have to cover for just the ink block? Yeah, honestly, that is that's a really good question. I know that the first year we painted it, Don Rymix from Puerto Rico, Pro Black, and myself collaborated on a wall that's eighteen feet tall and 270 feet wide. And that was that was crazy. That's just one featured wall. And since then, there's been a, a lot more that's been painted. Hoxo from Miami, Vile from LA, OG legend uh, Greg LaMarche, who was in Massachusetts for a while, uh, did a wall there as well. And then we've had some amazing Boston artists like Gio and Matthew Zaremba and, and other artists that are local to you know the city of Boston get their shine. We'd love to see a lot more happen there. Um, we'd also love to um, sometime in the future think about artist residencies and how we can work that out as well, because I, I really think there's more opportunity for growth. That's amazing. So do people come to you now with projects and walls? Because I think Boston especially, but maybe that's true in New York too. It just It's not that easy to get access to space, I mean, I think, right? We're starting to be smarter or maybe a little bit more uh, open about like what who the public space belongs to and who gets to do stuff there. But I, I don't know. Do you find that, that that's gotten any better? Yeah, definitely. You know, we get approached often for different wall opportunities, new developments that um, are requiring public art as part of their uh, development component as well. Um, also, I don't know if you know, but I was, I've been brought on by the city of Boston to be their mural consultant for this year. Oh, that's amazing. No, I had no idea. Are you their first? Are you the first? I'm the first. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ah, congratulations. They so received great. about 750000 um in a fund to uh, fund public art in the city. Wow. And this is the first time that um, they've been able to receive funding in this way, but also have partnerships with other um, city agencies that are offering walls. Mm-hmm. And so they're pretty much matching artists with walls that they are uh, securing themselves. That's incredible. So I'm going to ask like a really nerdy question, but do they help you maintain them? Is there like, what's the maintenance thing? Like in 20 years, are these murals still going to be gorgeous? You would hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, I I can answer that. I can speak to that. So really nothing in the world can, can keep something pristine for 20 years, no matter what it is. You know, that's why even in museums, there's, there's people that archive oil paintings uh, that are just hanging up on a wall secured versus something ex- exposed to nature. But really, I, I love that you can, you know, document everything through video, film, books, obviously what you, what you guys are doing right now with your podcast. And the murals will live on for a really long time. And there's been times where murals have been restored over time, like Chicano Park in San Diego. I think every 10 years they restore some of the murals that are from the 50s and 60s because they're just so iconic. So I, I always look at it like an opportunity for a new generation to either paint a new mural where an old one used to exist. But at the end of the day, you're you're opening up opportunities that didn't exist before. I hear that 100%. I think that's the biggest, that's definitely the biggest thing about 
just hip hop as culture is just always trying to break barriers for the next generation to do something different, to do something to um, to build on the shoulders of the past. And that's that's that legacy is like it's, I can't, I can't imagine the 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 generation of kids that are inspired by what what you're doing and what they're going to do with that inspiration and and a couple do- more doors open we were just uh the other day at, at barclay center watching karis one battle big daddy Kane. oh you were at that oh we were there it was it was like it was epic there's no way you could miss something like that right wait you gotta f- Fill us in for the be- for the uh, uninitiated here. <laughs> you you have two legends, two icons. You know, it's like King Kong versus Godzilla. It's just like, it's it's insane the scale of of lyricism. The neither one of them skipped a beat. It, it was just an incredible display of you know being an MC, a mic controller. You know, controlling the ceremony. Like they 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 were the epitome of what that means. And you know, and I, honestly. Not to brag or anything, but I kept thinking about pro black and myself because I was like, man, I want to be like them when I get older. I want to be uh, impactful still and motivational still and still, you know, rocking the way they're rocking, but on a wall versus, you know, on a stage because those guys, they've 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 maintained their skills uh, all these years and, and both still putting out, you know, new material. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, the art of emceeing is just thoroughly, uh, there's chapters that they wrote. So Randy Versus is like this format that came about in the pandemic where you take like two legendary artists and they go, they perform side by side, song for song. And um, it was KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane. And it was, I think, I saw, I only saw a little bit of footage from it, but there was like B-Boys on stage for KRS's aspect, I'm guessing. Yeah, it was both of them. And, you know, they, they both had like, you know, different uh, cameos come through. The, the crowd went crazy when Mad Lion came out, Buckshot came out, Nice wow. and Smooth came out, Dawes Effects came out. It was just crazy. You know, if, if you're over 30, you were, you were definitely, you know, feeling it. Over 30. Over 30. <laughs> Over 30. Yeah, yeah. But oh. they really hit like all of the, the markers of hip hop, right? Yeah. So, you know, you had the MC, you had the DJs who were um, going back and forth with each other, and you have the dancers. Um, and here we are now talking about um, graffiti and mm-hmm. street art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 the key visual part that makes hip hop a full culture. That's, a, that's And the, the fact that hip hop is now part of the Boston city government. With uh, the first, uh, the first czar of murals. Um, <laughs> what's what's your? What do you have to do? Do you have to show up to the office dressed a certain way, nine to five, or do they? You just the you're, looking, you're looking at the office. Yes. <laughs> this is my office with the spray paint behind us and with prints, you know, all around. So you know, really just being a, a resource for the selected artists who submitted to the call for the transformative public art program this year and being a liaison between them and the city and uh, helping artists um, get their logistics together and help with any technical assistance, managing expectations in terms of how art is developed um, for different buildings and community organizations and such. So it's been fun. So how many how many artists are you potentially working with this year then? Uh, we have three murals that are about to get started this fall. Um, actually, Cyril Conan, he already 
started a Boston Housing Authority building in Brighton. And then I think we have seven artists total. We have four other installations going up in the spring. And are they all Boston-based artists? I I run into Cyril every once in a while in Back Bay because I think... They're mostly Boston-based artists. There's an artist from Philly who is installing work this fall at the Engagement Center in Newmarket. Oh, nice. Yeah. And uh, are you guys Boston-based still, or did you fully move back to Brooklyn? So we're we're fully moved back to Brooklyn, but we still have uh, strong ties in Cambridge. You know, we still have family in Cambridge, and I still have plenty of couches I can crash on in Boston if need be. So there's, you know, Boston's always going to be our second home. So when did you guys decide or how did it come about that you that you decided that this partnership was the thing that supports your art, to support both of your art? I'm sort of curious about the relationship and how that fed into the art or like which came first. Our relationship? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I don't know whose relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I think art has always been a part of it. Right? Like, we met at the art store. That's where you guys met? I yeah, got at Oliver, Pearl. I got her number because I gave her big discounts at Pearl Arts. <laughs> she was using me for the discount. The one in Cambridge, in Central Square? Yeah, yeah what was Central Square. what's now H-Mart. That's where we met. I actually used to um, get crazy discounts there, too. And maybe um, they were trying to wife me. That's what, uh, in <laughs> retrospect, they were, trying to, they were trying to get a piece. <laughs> worked for him. It worked for me. In the long run, for sure. Well, while you guys, before you guys got married, though, were you guys, were you helping with Victor's art? I mean, it was always a part of it. And, you know, as, as college students, we were curating shows and, and, you know, having like pop up gallery exhibitions yeah. at Duggan's building, um, Boston City Lights. You might remember an event we were doing in the early, early 2000s called Doing It in the Park. At Peter's Park. That was you. That was us. You did You did do it in the park. Yeah, that was us. And we had uh, oh, man. DJs, uh, B-Boys. We partnered with other local hip-hop heads in Boston that wanted to take care of the entertainment part of it. But we, we were always in the forefront when it came to having different artists come up and paint uh, at the handball court. You know, ALA crew were kind of like the stewards of that wall. And, you know, with Pro Black and Zone and all these... Boston Legends uh, pretty much collaborating with us. We were able to organize, you know, on a grass, grassroots level and, and create doing it in the park. I remember that very well because that was, uh, I think that was the first time I had seen in person someone who would end up being my business partner. <laughs> that was the first time I'd heard about the legends, but okay, we won't. We'll get into that a little bit a little bit later. But um, I'd also it was the first time I'd seen and been to that that legendary uh, Peter's Park uh, that wall that you guys have been running for how many years? Twenty years. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is how much the neighborhood has changed since then. That's not even the original wall. That, that if you were to go there today, that's not even the original wall. The park has changed so much since then. You know, gentrification has definitely um, played a lot of negatives and positives when it comes to Boston. But uh, timeline-wise, wasn't there a there was like a, a a time when you were in LA as well? Because I I think I first saw your work in one of those compendiums of like LA graffiti, just like the hardcover Thames and Hudson uh, book. And you're, you've got like three, three pieces in that 
that what was that before you met Liza? No, it was after. after. I, I followed oh, Liza okay. to LA. She wanted to go back to LA. I grew up in LA. So, um, oh, okay. this was like right after college. Yeah. A few years after, you know, we had met and been together, I moved back to LA and he came along. Where, and were you guys doing, still doing pop-up galleries out there on top of living and doing murals? Having kids and raising a family and, and all of that definitely started to get acclimated with the graffiti art scene out in LA with Crew West and Man One and Vile and, you know, all of those guys. And mm-hmm. it just became like an extended part of our family. And so like the art has always been part of the relationship and the family as it grew and as it evolved. Yeah. Some good times out there. A lot of good things happened. I, I was introduced to the designer toy world out there. I had some friends that um, would just like randomly show up with these toys from Japan. And I was completely blown away by them because the toys look like, you know, like graffiti vandals. Like there were figures of people with, with gas masks and baseball bats and backpacks and sneakers. I'm like, who are these, what are these cool toys that look like us? Right. Like it looks like they made figures of the people I hang around. And uh, somebody said, Oh, that's Michael Lau from Hong Kong. And then um, I ended up designing my own figures at some point, but travel to Hong Kong and, you know, also to like Dongguan and, actually make toys and and sell them. And, you know, that was an incredible experience to go from doing graffiti to art to designing, you know, designer toys and and all that kind of stuff. And one of the first releases I did was at Bodega for the Mini Gods. Yeah, the Mini Gods. Yeah. That was what, 2007, 2008 or something like that. And Randy, were you following that scene at all? It was like Kid Robot, Dunnies, Monies. But were Um, they actually... Did they have like a function? I can picture these little things that were like thumb drives or something, but I don't think that's what you guys are talking about. Uh, those were called Mimo bots, the, the <laughs> thumb drives. And, uh, but no, the ones I, I designed did have a function. They were actually uh, audio speakers. Oh, wow. Yeah, like desktop speakers. Yeah, his, his, was, his was next level because it was sculptural and sound. And it, 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 took, it took, the I guess, the vinyl toy paradigm and just like stepped up a notch or two and it was uh yeah it was it's uh it's really hard to encapsulate all of the things that you've done in your career thus far and you're still you only got one gray hair in your beard man you're still <laughs> you're still making moves yeah no i got more that's just the camera's not so good on your computer man <laughs> yeah it's this is this is some bootleg 2014 macbook yeah there's a few in hd there's a lot more. uh-oh Wait, I want to hear you guys talk about NFTs. I was going to ask you something else, but I'll hold on to it. Wait, you're not doing NFTs yet, are you? No, no, I haven't. Um, I've, I've been asked by a couple of different organizations that, that do that with artists. And I'm at a point right now where I just need to uh, kind of finish off a lot of projects before I can go into NFTs. And I want to do that thoughtfully. I don't want to just do a random NFT with a random group of people. I really would rather do it in a series and curate it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Capricorn, man. We, we like to plan things out in advance <laughs> and actually execute properly instead of just winging it and, you know, doing a one-off. Yeah. It's well, the planning aspect is a, is a must. I think that's, you, you, you talked about the cheat code of, you know, having the, a background in graffiti to be do, doing large scale, but the, the work you do is just, it's monumental. It's like you had that one, 
like, was it five story building you did or something like that? And I think it was in Milwaukee. Yeah, there's, there's a couple, there's some in Detroit. Um, there's one in, um, well, the one in Worcester is like eight stories eight tall. Eight stories tall. Yeah. The one in Worcester is, mm-hmm. is eight stories tall across from the Lincoln theater. And that was for powwow with uh VHA, right? VHA. Yep. That's great. Well, how long were you, how long were you in Worcester painting for? Uh, that was seven days. So it was like roughly a one story per day. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a lot of hours. Do you work with a crew when you're doing that? Do you work with like a big gang of people? No, not really. Uh, that wall was was by myself. Uh, recently, I've I've been working with different artists to assist with some of the process, and it's it's only because the um, you know the the amount of work that I'm doing and the amount of projects that have to get done. It's good to have uh, assistance to help you with some of the process. The way that I paint, there's a lot of rendering and technique involved. So I, I plan and I design in a way where I can, you know, get some of the workload taken care of by somebody who's skillful enough to like handle stencils, do like clean fill-ins and, um, and also help with the setup and breakdown of like the projects every day. Cause nobody talks about the grunt work and I do a lot of that. Even if I have an assistant, I'm helping the assistant. We're working together. It's never been a, you know, you do all this and I'm just going to, you know, be a rock star and not, not do any of that. Like for me, it's, it's helpful if we both get it done faster and if we're both supporting each other. And, you know, I, I definitely, um, appreciate people that have supported us, you know, people like Jamie Chan, who's a big help of ours, uh, Curtis, who's goes by Curtistic, who's also been a great assistant of mine in the past. You know, there's always been people around pro blacks help me every now and then on, on different projects and I've helped him as well. So we all have each other's back in one way or another and pro black and I, it like we've collaborated on some pretty, as I would say, monumental projects for Boston, you know, the underground, uh, ink block recently, you know, was painted, uh, with the Nina Simone mural called, uh, please don't let me be misunderstood. And that was speaking to Black Lives Matter. Uh, we recently also did a tribute to his daughter and Paul Goodnight in Nubian Square called Reflection Eternal. That was a, a pretty monumental moment. That, that's a huge mural, a uh, huge building that we've been looking at for decades and just never had the resources to paint it. So it meant a lot for us in the community to get that executed. How did the collaboration on like the image and stuff come up, up on that? Is that a complicated process? Our good friend Gabriel Ortiz, who's uh, Gabriel Ortiz, is a photographer from Boston. Um, he's also a, a graffiti artist, but you know has a really good eye for photography. And I would say, you know, put the cans down for a little bit to pick up the camera. And he's just really gone deep with with photography, and he's a very talented guy. And we would basically um, direct him on what we're looking for. You know, the, the colors, you know, we use some some gel lighting to, you know, highlight Paul Goodnight and Bobby, Pro Black's daughter, and really just uh, told them compositionally what we were looking for. He did an amazing job. And from there, we were able to use his images as references for the mural. I always wondered how you did that. Yeah, that makes so much more sense that you would work with Gabby and, and use gels because I th- I, I, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to reverse engineer some of the work you do. And it's just, it's so complex in my mind that I just, I can't figure it out. 
So that was a good, that was a nice little, that was a nice little tip. Yeah. I mean, every, every project's a little different. That's, that's how we worked on that one in particular. Yeah. I saw photos of it everywhere. Mm -hmm. Are you still interested in, in different, in three dimensions as well as, I mean, so murals are so three dimensional in a way, except that it's a huge two dimensions, but do you do any other sculptural stuff? Any other, any other toys, stuff like that? I've been doing some mixed media pieces in, in my studio and, um, you know, mixing uh, leathers with wood and laser etched fabric, uh, mm-hmm. laser etched on leather, uh, you know, but I also this year going to start uh, doing more sculptural work as well, even if they're smaller scale works that can eventually be, you know, transformed into large public scale sculptures. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Actually. Yeah, it's it's just about finding the resources, somebody that's willing to make it. If they're willing to make it, I'll I'll definitely um, design it. Do you need a fabricator for that, you think? Or fabricator, of course, um, because you know, when you're doing these these types of like public arts that are sculptural, everybody wants to know that it's not gonna fall on somebody at some point and it's gonna be safe and structurally sound and be able to withstand the elements, that sort of stuff. Cool. Well, maybe the murals are. For some of the smaller pieces, we have a laser cutter in our studio, which is awesome that, you know, we've been able to use to accent some pieces as well. Yeah, we've, we've done a, a couple of uh, installations. We did an installation for Microsoft recently in Cambridge, and we we're able to use the laser cutter to uh, to cut these geometric shapes and put them together in a 3d way and also laser etch onto the surface of them. So there's definitely a lot you can do for art, for art and art installations. They must've loved that. Cause it's uh, using, you know, current tech for, for outputting. Was that, so the micro, was it for the Microsoft offices in Cambridge? Specifically for what they call their nerd headquarters. It's, it's yeah. uh, an acronym for a new England research development which I thought was pretty dope because they let me actually write the word nerd onto the wall. And I was like, we should get Pharrell to do a photo shoot in front of here or something. You know, it's, it was cool. It came out nice. I actually, I actually, that's amazing that you're working for Microsoft as well. Do do you have like a, any specific clients that you're still, that you would love to have as a dream client to work with? You know, honestly, there's, there's a lot, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, art institutions, would would be at the top of my list you know even even before brands because i feel like with brands it's great when they allow you to do what what you want to do and you know you get to do something that is telling a story like futuro's done amazing stuff with nike and you know other artists have done amazing things with different brands but um i think art institutions you know like the tate in london for example if you're going to aim for the stars why not you know take it to another country or if you do something at a museum in Mexico or Brazil, something that speaks to a broader audience and that exposes your culture, your heritage to an audience that's not familiar. I, I think that's what for me would be the, the next step. What about for you, Liza, as far as like your, your dream scenario in terms of like, well, also in terms of your curation that you do? My dream scenario would be to... I mean, I guess it might be a dream scenario to build out a staff, like a self-sufficient staff <laughs> who I can train or who can do some of the, the, the aspects of the work that I do so that we can think about how we can elevate um, our 
work and exposure and, you know, really play around with a lot more different uh, types of art and installations with different brands. It would be great to, to go international. I think that that was probably, you know, the next step for us in thinking about how we can do more murals and have more exhibitions uh, in the international space. And that goes back to cloning Victor is uh, the key <laughs> methodology of uh, scaling. Yeah, but you can't clone uh, 40-something-year-old Victor. You got to clone like 20-something-year-old Victor. The one who's like... <laughs> I want a clone. I want a younger clone, too. I'm with you. I'll take, a Vic- I'll take a 60-year-old Victor clone at this point. I'm not picky. <laughs> Could I say I'm really struck by just looking actually at all three of you or talking to all three of you about um, super creative people and people who actually take, I think, mentoring really, really seriously and about being a model for like upcoming generations and, you know, what. But um, how important do you think is like your business savvy? You are like, you guys all actually are really practical people i think with all for all the creative part i think it's striking that that part of what sets you apart is that you come at this with a little bit of a business mindset or i don't know if you would characterize it that way or if it has value for you or if you think it has value for other for like young artists you have to and it's nothing new it's it's been you know since the beginning of time michelangelo had to negotiate you know with the sistine chapel when he was getting paid to do that and apparently he almost quit one day because he wasn't getting paid and they had to, uh, you know, give him some money right away to get him back on track. Uh, so it's, it's been around since the beginning of time, you know, people negotiating for their skill sets. And I think for us, because we're a family and we're independent creatives, it's even more important because this is how we, you know, feed our kids and how we pay our bills. And of course it's creative and we're passionate about it. But uh, it's also something that we have to be very mindful of. Yeah, I think that 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 component of business savviness um, and really just integrating some important business aspects to our process has been like the big game changer from, you know, being a you know, being an artist on the side, right, to making this our full time. And it has allowed us to to gain the skill sets and, and obtain the, the language to understand how negotiations work, to make sure you get paid, mm-hmm. make sure you get paid on time, mm-hmm. you know, manage expectations, all of those things. And so um, it's the piece of what we do together that has really allowed us to continue to grow and thrive. That yeah, that's. Uh, I do remember there was there was a time when I think Victor, you were working at Converse. Was that like the era where you you felt like you transitioned to to full time street theory and and you as an artist? There was always a game plan for me to leave uh, the corporate world, and you know I, I always I would joke with my director and say that you know you're lucky I'm an artist with family because I would have never gone down this route if I didn't have a family that needed health insurance and benefits and, you know, stability. So for me, it was, um, working there full time and also being an artist full time and, you know, being a parent full time, all these things that I managed for, you know, decades, not, not just at Converse, but also previous jobs. 
Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are wanting to leave their corporate position and do their own thing full time. And my advice to them is to, you know, really start thinking about, you know, your game plan and also working towards that while you're working, because it's, it's very, like, it's very easy to get comfortable and feel like, well, I know how much I'm getting paid. I know, you know, what I can do, what I'm capable of doing. And, and that fear of letting that go is what keeps you from wanting to take it to that next level and do your own thing. Um, but really it's not, it's not for everyone. And, and I don't judge anybody that wants to be in the corporate world. I think, you know, there's a lot of plus to that. There's a lot of amazing designers doing amazing product and I'm glad they're in the, in the corporate world because when I collaborate with brands, I hope that there's some creative people in there that love what they do. So, you know, for me, it was just that time, you know? Well, I think the brands that um, survive and thrive have an artistic soul and definitely people who are, who have art as part of their core leading th- those decisions to a certain degree. But I think you, you're probably, you two are probably one of the few stories that ended up, ended up, you know, flourishing after, you know, leaving and, and, and creating your own path as just independent artists. It's, a, it's such a, it's such a rarity and it's, it's huge props to you for being able to do it. I mean, the fact that you were doing full-time parent, full-time, you know, full-time nine to five and then full-time artist on top of it just it doesn't sound like you needed to clone at that point. It was, it's incredible. You were able to do all that. Yeah, no, I had some amazing support from Liza. You know, she held down the family on many occasions while I had to do, you know, some all-nighters and crazy projects. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Happy wife, happy life, all that. <laughs> on that note, I have to go so I can grab the kids, but y'all continue. It was good to see you guys. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Randy. So nice talking to you. you. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your combo. All right, now we can talk trash about her. (laughs) No, Oliver, you were asking me earlier. Actually, I just thought about um, Maharishi has always been one of my favorite brands. And um, that would be a dream collaboration. uh, Mostly because I I love the storytelling they do with different cultures and patterns. And they're not afraid to... um, you know, to drop, to try new things. And I think that would be a very organic collaboration. Yeah. I loved, um, I love that exhibition they had at the old ICA. It was like, uh, it wasn't Hardy Blackman behind, uh, Maharishi, but it was like someone else who did the book, uh, DPM disruptive pattern material, like the encyclopedia of, you know, camouflage um, and all of camo. Yeah. 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 They've always been, um, just this like this the solid this solid outputter of just new ideas that are reinventing like things that I'm always just trying to learn more about. Yeah. Maharishi is awesome. But what um what projects are you still wrapping up this before you take on uh sculpture this year? So there's a mosaic that I'm gonna be working on in Queens for an organization called Make the Road. That's that's a, a special project because Make the Road works with a lot of uh, in, immigrants and indigenous communities. So they, they help, you know, fight for equity. They, they help, uh, you know, street vendors uh, when they get into trouble. They, they help people when they're not able to pay rent. They also help for 
you know, immigrant workers uh, in order to, you know, get a working visa. So they do a lot of um, a lot of stuff that's close to me uh, on a personal level. Because I, I was born in Mexico and my father was too. I, I experienced firsthand what it is to lose your your parent, you know, because of you know deportation. So those are the type of things that I think about when I'm working on these projects and collaborating with those folks. Is I, I've I've been in their shoes and I know what it's like. So it's it's great working with an organization that is helping people and you're creating artwork that is going to give them a sense of pride and and validation. You know, and the work that we've been doing lately with Murals for the Movement, it's it's really, uh, for me, powerful because we are BIPOC artists that are, you know, leading this movement and painting for communities that reflect us. Uh, we're controlling our own narratives. You know, we don't need people to speak for us. We, we need to, you know, validate each other and not, not look for validation, you know, with these institutions that want to tokenize us half the time, you know, that's, that's really like the underlining part is like, when are you really supportive and when are you just tokenizing people? Yeah. I think it's, uh, the, the impact of being able to, you know, a, as a person of color, look up and see, you know, a face that's like yours in, in this, in this larger than life. And, and one of the most beautiful murals that you, you could even imagine is, is just a, such a powerful thing that you're, you're spreading around the world. It's incredible. And here's a true story, right? I, I can't make this shit up. Every city, whether it's Philadelphia, Dallas, uh, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, every single city, it never fails. When I'm painting, uh, you know, a Latin person or a black person, I always get people asking me, did that person die? that person pass away. And to me, it just speaks volumes as to a culture that has been taught that we're only valuable once we're gone. We're only honored once we've passed away. And it's not normal to them to see them being celebrated just because of who they are, because of how powerful our cultures are, that they have to be, you know, in dire need or, you know, in a, in a very sad position to be looked at. And I want to change that narrative for everybody. I want kids to grow up and see these murals and feel like, you know, this is this is us. This is who we are. Because, you know, culturally, we've been taught in this country for centuries that we come from a place of being victims, whether you're Asian or Hispanic or black. Um, American history always starts off on that point where, oh, you're an immigrant and you built railroads or you're an immigrant, you you know, you. You picked cotton and you're an immigrant. You, you know, you came from Mexico and you worked labor, but nobody talks about actually you're a king. Actually, you came from emperors. Actually, your lineage comes from, you know, this amazing dynasty. Nobody talks about pre-Columbian history or pre-American history when you're teaching, you know, kids of color about their culture and their background, which I think is a huge miss. But American kids, you know, Anglo-Saxon kids, white kids, they get to learn about their heroes their whole lives. So they look at themselves and they, they don't need that validation. They already have that confidence. And if you paint a white kid on the wall, I, there's no one going to ask you if that kid died. That's just a fact. That would never happen. So it's it's like, it's like a psychological thing. And that's why when you go to my IG, you'll see that it says on there, uh, visual decolonizer, because that's part of what I'm doing with my art. 
That's incredible. Uh, it's incredible also how radical just paint, putting a figure on a building can be just like that. It's a figure of person of color. I would have never, I also, that would be a blind spot to me to think that your first impulse would be, oh, they must have died. This is a tribute of that sort. So that's wild. Yeah. That's some, that's some knowledge right there. Victor, yeah. man, you should have, you should, oh dude, you should have your own I was going to say you should have your own TV show, but I saw you on TV one time on Queer Eye. I saw you on Queer Eye for the straight guy, I think. For like three no. seconds, man. Three seconds. Three you know, seconds. They, they cut me short. You want to know why? They always cut us short, man. I'm in like, I should have been in like the Wale video for like three hours. All right. I'm, I'm like a blip. They cut me short because they were trying to get me to flip my bread like Beyonce. And I said, no, nah, I can't do that. And they're like, come on, do it, do it. And I, I wouldn't do it because I was like, I'm going to end up a meme and it's going to be terrible. It's going to be this repetitive <laughs> meme of me flipping my braid with a Beyonce song in the background. I'm not going to fall for the okie doke. So because I didn't do that, I swear they cut me short. I would have done it. I'm a prostitute, man. <laughs> I need that screen time. I need to pay the bills somehow. I don't have skills rendering anything I can't do a clean fill-in. I can't even be your assistant. I need to. I need, I'll do the hair flip. Um, I will have you there. You will be my stunt double. I'll be like, come flip this braid. I got a wig for you. And it's just like a bad cut and me in a wig. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I'm still. I'm still stuck in Oliver as your stunt double. I like love this idea so much. I'm trying to think of a, where we can make this happen. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any filming coming up? I was just I was doing some filming for Complex recently. We should I should have had you in that one. <laughs> oh, but as far as locally goes, I'm I'm going to be doing a, a project with uh, 907 Main, which is a, a hotel in Cambridge. Oh yeah. Oh, it right in Central Square, right? Central Square. So Human from Los Angeles, she painted the backside of it, and I'm I'm going to be painting the courtyard where the restaurant Dial is at. I'll be painting that area. Oh, and then Imagine has that giant mural right there too, right? She does. She does yeah. right around the corner. Wow. Yeah, that whole that whole area. Actually, that area already has one of your pieces on top of H Mart too, right? Right on top of where I met Liza. <laughs> Full circle. That's insane. That's right where, where you met Liza. Oh man, I didn't I didn't ever put that together. Yeah. Was that one through Che and like that connection? Um Michael Monastery. Michael, yeah. I think he's moved on from Central Square too. He has. Um I, I believe he's gonna be working with Gerald Chang, trying to rebuild what um Harvard Square used to be, I guess, or or you know, bring some value to that. It de it desperately needs it. Yeah, that place falling apart. But I'd say raise a, a raise a cheer to the old pearl paint there too, though. <laughs> I All I have is water, but I'll do that for sure. <laughs> and actually, Victor and Liza did some work out in Harvard Square just like a couple of years before you did that gallery show with One Two Three Clan. Thanks for having me DJ that. Of course, we did a pop up there. Um, one of our first exhibits with Street Theory. And um, we took over an abandoned bank and turned it into a gallery um, as well as a pop-up shop. And um, it, it was really nice seeing that that type of uh, culture in Harvard Square, which you normally don't. Yeah, it was just that. I think the, the two things I could think of going for art there was like cultures. And like that used to be that other spot that Kerry ran that Kenji used to work at. They sold paint. And they used to do art shows and just proletarian or something like that. Yeah, proletariat. And then it was it was your pop up uh, 
your pop-up gallery and those and then you know that that restaurant you guys were uh street market also where oh yeah night market night market yeah where you guys did art shows every once in a while too those are the only things i would ever go to in harvest square that had art because two of them were because of you yeah no it's it's they they definitely need something fresh and new there but bodega um let's let's talk a little bit about bodega what's what's going on with with the scene there bodega it's just east coast west coast madness just we're we're in it man we're like we're such a like a machine of commerce that uses the commerce aspect for cultural storytelling through the you know creating marketing materials creating you know storytelling representation on, on those parts and it's just like i am absolutely like floored with how efficient we're becoming <laughs> and how good how good we are at doing all these things so it's like it's really crazy because it's like i'm like a journeyman and i show up with my lunch pail and my hard hat and i you know i, I put in my hours and i i know that it's just going to keep on building and building the skyscraper that's just going to keep going and whether you know whether i'm there or not it's just it's really incredible this like this organism that um it's it's insane 15 years man it's totally nuts I, I think it goes back to what you were saying that the people that have longevity they come from a place of, of like genuine authenticity like they wouldn't be doing it unless they they loved it right and I, I think that can be said about anything whether it's you know a five-star restaurant or you know, a bar that everybody loves to go to or, you know, a, a musicians that have a long career. It's, it's, if you come from a place of passion, that's what I always say. If, you know, you have to have passion and purpose. You know, that's 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 the first. And then after that is process. But, you know, you got to have all of those. Because if you got all the passion in the world, but you don't have any purpose, then it goes to waste. And if you have both of those, but you don't have any process then you're not going to grow. And I think that's something that, you know, I've seen Bodega cause I know you guys personally, and I've seen how you've grown um, as an organization to go from Boston to LA and to figure out all this like grown man shit, which happens as you get older, you're like, Oh, this isn't just like, let's sell a couple of things and be cool. This is, this is like, Oh shit, we got to actually have a business plan for the next 10 years. And you know, what growth is going to look like. And I remember the first time you guys did your cut and sew collection, that was a huge learning curve. And, you know, you've, you've improved since then. Like what, what are the do's and don'ts and, you know, what works, what doesn't work, you know, what direction, all the, all those things, you know? Yeah. It's uh, I, I'm glad we found out process along the way. It took, took many years, but that's the only way you're totally right. That's the only way you could do it. But now it's much like, you know, the trajectory of the work you do. It's like we were this, we started off in this niche, passionate thing. And now it's becoming embraced by the establishment, by, um, by everyone in the public space. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, our, our world, man, it's, I can't believe how, how lucky and blessed we are that we're in this space that everyone looks at now is just like, they want to be part of it or they want a piece of the action and we're some old gray beard ogs now 
and we're still in the game. And you still have purpose. You know, when recently you did, um, you'd gotten all these streetwear brands to collaborate on a hoodie that raised money for uh, awareness against Asian hate. And, you know, I, I was more than happy to, you know, get one of those hoodies because first of all, I look good. And second of all, it was for a good cause. So it was a win-win and, you know, not enough people do that, you know, not enough people give back in that sense, you know, or empower other communities in that sense. Well, you know, I, I, it's energy from you that like helped, helped teach me how to act, how, how, that taught me how to do these things, you know, and thanks for, thanks to you for number one, supporting that. I designed it. I put that one together. That was me. That was me out there putting my head out, putting my neck out, see if that would work and sending all the emails and, and you do thanks to you and Liza for helping, you know, support, you know, those independent art shows that I was putting together to help Puerto Rico or to help Standing Rock. That was, uh, that was, we all did that as community to try to help, you know, when, when we see someone needing help, that's what we do. That's what we do with everything we, we have and all the influence that we, we try to I guess, gain along the way. Absolutely. Using your power for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Amazing. Definitely uh, would like to see a, a bodega collaboration of some kind. You know, something uh, between between us, gentlemen. We can, we can plan and plot someday behind the scenes, so I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but that would be, that'd be amazing. Uh, it's been a while since we've done anything together, uh, you know, focused on art and that sort of stuff. Yeah, man. And it, I won't make you do any hair flips or anything that you would feel uncomfortable with. No, that's you. You're my stunt double. We can do that. You just, you, you know, you just, just do it for me. How comfortable are you with full frontal nudity? I mean, as long as you're the one doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we got a project lined up. All right. There you go. Randy, you got any last questions? No, I love listening to you guys talk. I like just love listening to you guys talk. Uh, no, I got no more questions. Well, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have to do a part two at some point once yeah. once we get this one wrapped up. But I I, he- I hear a baby crying in the background. <laughs> I might have to help my wife out. <laughs> that sounds good. No, part two is going to be when you're the launch of the uh, film project. So which? <laughs> oh man, that's going to be interesting. Well, I really got to say huge huge props to you for everything you do, and thank you for being on our show, man. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thanks, Randy, for, you know, chiming in and asking the tough questions. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Pleasure to have both of you on. And uh, let part two, absolutely, you're like, you're on the, on the list, man. This, thank you so much. This has really been fun. 